Welcome to The Adapter's Advantage, the podcast that shares insider stories about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Get ready for an inspiring conversation about adapting to change from Alego, the all-in-one sales enablement platform built for success in a hybrid world. Let's dive right in. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca. I want to welcome you back to the next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. I'm excited to be here with Tiffany Bova. Now, Tiffany is an innovator across the sales world, someone who's highly recognized from media appearances, from the books that she's been involved with, as well as her role at salesforce.com. We're going to be talking about all of them, but let me just give you a little bit of her bio before we jump right in. She's technically the chief growth evangelist at Salesforce, and she's the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Growth IQ, Get Smarter About the Choices That Will Make or Break Your Business. She's been named to the latest Thinker 50s list of the world's top management thinkers and is welcome She's a welcome guest on Bloomberg, MSNBC, Yahoo Finance, and lots of other places. She splits her time between Hawaii, where she's from originally, and today we've got her uh, in Los Angeles. So Tiffany, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me, Mark. I'm thrilled to be here. One of the first questions I have for you is when people first meet you and they ask you, so Tiffany, what do you do? What do you say? <laughs> Oh, that's such a hard question. So, um, you know, let me back up a little bit. You know, I, I used to be a quota carrying sales rep. I grew up in sales. I sold technology for almost 15 years. Uh, and then I spent a decade at Gartner Group uh, as a research fellow covering sales transformation, go-to-market innovation, and indirect channel strategy. And when I was working there, I used to say, okay, have you ever watched the show House of Lies on Showtime? They're like, yes. I go, okay like that without all the fun stuff, right? Just the, consult, <laughs> just the consulting stuff. And then, and then up in the air with George Clooney, like all yes. of that without yes. all the other stuff, right? Yes. So yes. it was a combination of House of Lies and up in the air, which was traveling around the world, advising uh, both startups and some of the largest technology companies on how to improve sales performance. Uh, that was an incredible decade. And then Salesforce asked me to uh, join the company and continue doing what I was doing uh, for Gartner, but doing it for us and for our customers and for the market. So I have this amazing situation where uh, I get to just talk around the world, meet incredible executives, listen and learn uh, and advise you know, some companies on, on how to really get back to growth at the moment. Uh, but usually it's about how do we do it in a much more thoughtful way. Well, that's a perfect pivot because uh, I love this quote of yours, Tiffany, the fastest way to get people to love your brand is to get employees to love their job. And you know, we're in this environment that you're well aware of. Some are calling it the great resignation. We've got a, a power shift, almost an asymmetrical power shift that's happened between employees and their employers, the likes of which We've, we've perhaps never seen, um, certainly in the last 100 years. So when, when you think about that quote and getting employees to love their job, what's one of the big ideas from Growth IQ or some of the conversations you've been having that relates to that concept? So I'm going to, I'm going to keep it on sellers for just a second when it comes to that. You know, I, I often, and I've said this for a long time, uh, and, and you know, if you've heard me speak before, you've maybe even heard me say it, but I, I kind of know two things for sure. <laughs> Only two. One is salespeople do not wake up every day and go, my God, I can't wait to data enter. 
That is one thing I know for sure. <laughs> yes. The second thing I know for sure is that customers don't wake up and say, oh my God, today's the day. I go from stage two to stage three in the sales process. Yep. Those are two things I know for sure. So let's go yep. back to the fastest way to get customers to love your brand is to get employees to love your job, their job. So let's start with the employee for a second. How do you make it more seamless? Look, they're you know, 66% of a seller's time is still spent on non-selling activities. And that was pre-pandemic. So I'm going to guess that's even, you know, higher. Since 2019, productivity metrics have actually gotten stricter. And the amount of data entry that sellers have to make is higher. So we're not actually giving sellers the opportunity to do what you hired them to do, which is sell. At the same time, right, this pandemic hits, it completely disrupts the way in which companies have sold. You know, it might've been a field cell sales organization that were, you know, windshield time and airplane time and train time. And then you had an inside team that might've been account-based marketers, sales development reps, business development, or even customer success managers, right? Trying to then sell to other accounts. You had both of those things kind of working in harmony. And then overnight, field sellers were inside. That's a story it, that everybody knows at this point. Sure. But now the question is, how do you get them back into some sense of outside selling? When do you do that? Where do you do that? What would be the reason you would keep them saying, nope, you can do it, you know, digital first or, you know, sort of video first versus going and seeing face to face. It's not just about what we want as companies. We have to take into consideration what our customers want, you know, for the safety of their employees and their people and what are sure. they doing? We have to find that balance. And so, you know, it's been a, it's been a shame to see that leaders, many have over pivoted to productivity to say, what are you doing every minute of every day of every yeah. week of every month of every quarter of every year, now that we're 18 months in, instead of saying, hold on, how do we balance kind of autonomy with this kind of, you know, and, and uh, flexibility with this much more strict measurement. And you have to find it because that builds trust for your employees that your seller is going to do what's best for the company and for the customer. Like, do you need to know they called hundred people or do you just need to know that they're adding to the pipe deals are moving forward. And so for leaders, it's really important to coach uh, more than you have in the past and really let your people lean into training. So, you know, that's the, that's the conversation around 66% of their time and the data entry. Now, you know, when I was selling, I was using a single user version of act and gold mine. And yes. I would, I would spin my Rolodex on my desk and go, that's who I'm going to call today. It was like yep. very scientific, yep. but, but now technology could take a lot of that away. So as leaders, you have to start to make sure that you're using CRM, whatever it is, whichever system um, that ultimately using it as an output device, not just a way for you to capture those productivity metrics. Now let's go to the seller side, right? Then the seller they don't care what your process is. They're on their own journey. And so how do you make it easier for your employees to sell and your customers to buy? And if your employees feel like you don't trust them, you're always looking over their shoulder. It's all about productivity metrics. It's not about my health and well-being. Guess what happens? They don't love their job. And then if they don't love their job, who suffers? Well, the company and the customer, right? So, so that's kind of the genesis of that quote, if you will, as it relates to sellers. So this this idea of helping sellers understand what's in it for them, number one. And there's, there are a lot of things in it for them that aren't immediately apparent when you're being told you have to do something new that you didn't know you needed to do. Right, right. right? Well, that, that's yeah, so let me just call this out. I'm going to give this one example. So let's say like pre-CRM, 
call a hundred people, 10 will call you back. Two will ask for a quote, one you'll close. Yep. Okay. I literally was trained that methodology in 1996. It's mm -hmm. been a minute since 1996. Yet many leaders call hundred people, 10 are going to call, but do it in the CRM system. Instead of saying, hold on a second, we've invested all this money in technology. We have artificial intelligence, we have machine learning, we have you know listening into calls, coaching, just-in-time coaching, next best action, all of this integration. And yet you still say, call 100 people, 10 will call you back, two will make a meeting. That's a management issue. Yes. The seller, unfortunately, is like, you know, held to these metrics. Instead of saying, hold on, if you could call the 10 that are more likely to do the next best action, wouldn't that be better? And the seller, of course, is going to say yes. Now, here's the chasm. If the seller is not entering data into the CRM, the system is not going to get smart enough to tell you which 10 to call. And so it cannot just be an input mechanism. You have to start to trust the output. But the only way output works is if the data is in. Now, it doesn't remember I said the two things I know for sure. Sellers don't wake up to do data entry. Right. There's so many ways to automate that now. First party, second party, third party data, integrating multiple data sources. So there's only a small percentage of what a seller may have to enter. And that might be the conversation they just had, unless right. they're recording the call and letting natural language processing take unstructured data, structure it, use that as a way to look for you know, patterns and signals, et cetera. That's a whole nother conversation, but you, you could do that too. But ultimately, the less you can have a seller have to input, the more they'll start to value what comes out. But if what comes out doesn't actually help them do their job, they're turned off to it right away. So part of this has to be that managers have to change the way they manage. And then sellers have to trust the fact that technology is their partner. You know, it's their best teammate they have. And if they get beat, I guarantee you they're going to get beat by someone using technology better than them. I heard this quote from a CFO, Tiffany. He said that um, the, the threshold for business travel has changed post-pandemic. And I think to your point, you know, trying to figure out what this balance is, um, it's hard to say, and I think it varies by industry, but there's no question that for most of us, and you and I both are, I haven't been on the plane as much as you, but I've been on it a lot myself, and quite frankly, been quite happy to be off of it for this last 18 months, um, although I've taken a few flights. The bottom line is that flying across the country from Boston to Los Angeles for a one-hour meeting with the first appointment, back in the days of the Delta commercial, remember that Delta commercial, like the guy, the manager saying, get on a plane and go see people. I think that's largely over because it's really hard to justify. We're just going to go travel to try to meet people to build rapport with the idea being, if you can't get them to do what you and I are doing first, just for a first meeting, it doesn't mean you can't go see them that it's a, it's a big ask to go jump on a plane if uh, you haven't met people already. What's your thought to that? Yeah, you know, I, I started saying kind of June, July of last year, did I think it was going to stay where it is now, to your point? Like, I'm not going to get on a plane to do that first meeting from Boston to Los Angeles for an hour kind of a thing. Or do I think it's going to go back to, uh, you know, or stay where it is, uh, go back to the way that it was, where I would get on a plane. Right. right. 2019. Right. Exactly. You've, you've got those two. Yeah. And I'm going to use a really great consulting cop out. I think it's going to fall somewhere in between, <laughs> <laughs> which is depends who the customer is. Yeah. Depends what the opportunity is. Depends what the situation is. And that unfortunately doesn't, you can't just go, you know, a yes, no tree. Yes, no. But it helps if you go 
first meeting, you know, is this a past client? No. If it's a past client, yes. You know, do they currently use our technology? Yes. No. Right. I'm just I'm just playing right. that out, right? Yeah. And then it lands at an answer. Yes, go see them or no video yep. first. I'm just once again using it yep. as an example. That's a great way to understand. Well, what are those thresholds? Yes. What what are they and why? It's yes. not every meeting for an hour across the country is valuable. And so I think that that's where we have an opportunity to change. Because let's say your manager says, or you're my manager and you say, Tiffany, nope, you are not going from Boston to Los Angeles um, for this hour meeting. It would be the reverse, LA to Boston, you know, right. and, I'm gonna, and, and, and I want to go see the witch house in Salem or, <laughs> or eat something in Beverly. My family's from Boston. So I, you know, I'll go, right? Uh -huh. And so uh, you say, can't go. I say, well, hold on. The customer is putting together their entire executive team right. and are going to give me one hour. And two of our competitors are getting the, in the same day or the same week, an hour. Yep. And I think if we don't show up, we are really going to put ourselves as a disadvantage. You manager go, absolutely. So that's what I mean, right? Versus yeah, just no. a hard, do not get on that plane, not going to happen, never going to go back. Now, if it was, you know, it's just him, you know, he, he said he has up to an hour, but it might only be a half hour, like that kind of thing to your right. point. Could we do it first video? Um, is that the best way to connect? Because I think what we've proven over the last 18 months is we can establish relationships virtually, which I always believed we could, but many field sellers believe that they only could do it yes. face to face or yes. on a golf course or at a dinner or at a concert, et cetera. Right. Um, but we've learned that that's possible. We've also learned that customers appreciate it when it's short, medium, like instead of an hour, it's 15 minutes and it's very insight driven to your point. I've read the last transcript. I knew the three to do's. I showed up with the answers. It was yep. a very quick meeting. Customer goes, thank you for respecting my time. Only totally. 15 minutes. You gave me what I wanted. Let's move on. And so there is value and benefit in this kind of hybrid when and where um, but flexibility, going back to what I was just talking about, right? Having that autonomy and flexibility to say, you know what? I don't need to get on that plane. I can do it this way. And then I need to get on that plane. I need to do it that way. Do you trust me to make that own yes. decision? Or do I have to go through all this process of, yep. by me going through this approval, you don't trust that I'm doing what's best for the business and I'm blowing the T&E because I just don't care. And, and I, I think that that's not necessarily the truth, right? I think that there is the ability for you to give some trust back that I'm going to travel when I know it makes the most sense and I'm not going to when it doesn't. That's, that's an excellent point. I remember I said that uh, who I heard this from was a CFO and it was a valid point in his industry, but you've just added a whole nother layer of nuance on that. And it's, and it's really, um, it's about redefining the threshold that you just described, right? Because to take it one step further, you might say, listen, I have family in Boston. I need to go to this meeting and I want to visit my family because I haven't seen them for 18 months. And by doing that, we're killing two birds with one stone, so to speak, right? And, and um, there's no incremental cost to the business if, if you were going to fly for that other event, right? So I, I think you're absolutely right that um, it's going to require a higher level of finesse. And as much as people want to have black and white rules, that there's a lot of this that is, is gray. And you, you have to look at it, not just with the tree, but on an individualized basis. Yeah, and it, I, it's, I'd also add to that, you know, CFOs are an interesting conversation because 
it tends to be very bottom line PNL driven. Mm-hmm. And, and not that that's wrong, but sometimes you miss the subtlety. So, you know, I often will ask companies, do you view your customer service organization as a cost center or do you view it as a revenue engine like customer success? Right. And, you know, sometimes I say, oh, of course it's customer success. And I'll go, okay, so talk me through how you schedule. Well, we get a thousand calls an hour. I have a hundred people. That means they can take 10 calls an hour. They each call is an average of three minutes. And, and I go like this, whoop, stop, timeout. You view it as a cost center. Yes. Because I, you know, am a customer and I have a 30 minute problem and the customer service station will get in trouble if the call goes longer than five. So they're going to rush me off the phone. So I'm not going to get a good experience, right? That's just one example. And the same thing happens, the same thing happens with sellers, right? If it's only a decision now, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff around, uh, you know, sustainability and carbon and the footprint and how many of our people are flying. What's the impact of the environment? What are we doing to offset it? Like that's an entirely different layer, right? Of just really leaning into sustainability and being net zero because we, you know, put a lot of people on planes. Uh, And so, you know, how can we balance what we want to do from an environmental standpoint with what we need to do from a business standpoint? So that's a very, very powerful question. Let me, um, you know, this this podcast is called The Adapter's Advantage because I, I love to get to what causes people to make a pivot. So in your case, can you describe a pivot point or a specific moment of learning that just changed the trajectory of your career? Um, I'll, I'll use a new one. Um, you know, I wrote Growth IQ three years ago now. There's 10 paths to growth. Uh, you can see the image above my head uh, mm-hmm. on the 10 paths, but, but I missed employee completely. It's not a path has no bearing. Now I talk about employee, but I didn't give it its due sort of, you know, as its own growth path. So when I started working at Salesforce, I was saying on stage quite often, I don't think it's a coincidence that Salesforce is one of the best places to work around the globe. I think in 17 or 18 countries, it's number one and the rest of them, it's in the top five. We're one of the most innovative companies in the world and we're the fastest growing enterprise software company, all according to other people. This is not us talking about. Okay. And I said, I didn't think that was a coincidence. And so I went to our CMO at the time and I said, hey, I want to prove this out. Like, I'd like to, I'd like to see this correlation between, you know, if you have really happy employees, you innovate faster, more and more sort of customer led, and then you derive this incredible growth. So we did a project with Forbes Insight and lo and behold, we found that brands that do that and do that well have 1.8X faster growth rates. So for a billion dollar brand, it's about a $40 million impact. And we did it very specifically. We looked at Glassdoor ratings, right? We looked at the S&P growth rates. We looked at the sure. customer service index. Like, so we didn't just go and do primary exclusively. We really looked at what was already out there and saw correlation. So if you go and look at that report, don't go, well, I can't believe so-and-so isn't on this list. It's because it wasn't exhaustive. It was just uh, sure. what we could grab from those. And so um, that sort of sent me down this path of this fastest way to get customers to love your brand is to get employees to love their job and really just talk more about how employees play such a pivotal role in everything that a company does. Now, had I not started working here where we are extremely focused on employee and we're extremely focused on, you know, all the things that go along with that, you know, pre-pandemic and also very keen and clear on what our culture is, 
I don't think I would have sort of started to have that conversation. You know, I was right. sort of in the weeds about other topics. So for me, that was a huge pivot point. Now, since that, you can get that research, you can do Forbes Insight, Salesforce, um, uh, so and 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 look for it. Um, and and I'll tell you that hopefully it's short, four four or five pages. It'll give you some insights that you hadn't thought about. From that, uh, I'll link. I'll link to that. Absolutely, Great. it's called the experience equation. And so you know. The follow on to that is we've now done that was US only that but now we've done a global study uh, across um, sort of 13 countries across three industries, you know, it was a six month project, uh, and uh, very sort of in depth and, and that is going to be coming out in the January timeframe and really will be the basis I hope we'll see uh, for my next book. Um, but but I can tell you that that was a blind spot for me. I've been a leader. I've run startups and divisions of Fortune 500 companies. It's not like I haven't been a people leader, but I hadn't really sort of correlated those two things. And sure. I think you started this conversation out, the great resignation, people leaving work, like what does that all mean? That and the last 18 months has been a catalyst for the fact that this conversation is so much more important than it was. So that was that was a pivot for me, right? To yes. not include it in Growth IQ, you know, and really think about how does that play a role uh, going forward. Well, I will tell you just along those lines of very cool content you've been involved with. And I feel like you had a cast of um, amazing friends who joined you on this one, but the story of sales video, um, I've shared that with our whole sales team. I mean, what, what a cool thing to do almost a feature style film on the, the business and the origins of it and having Professor Frank Zespedes and, and such an interesting group of people provide their respective frameworks on everything from spin selling to kind of how we got here. It, it's as you just described that, Tiffany, I'm, I'm imagining you could almost have part two of that movie that, that layers in this next piece of what you're learning. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, the story of sales, we took it on a little roadshow and entered it in film competitions. It was, it was a great fun project. Uh, you know, I think that sales gets a bad rap. It's not a four-letter word. Uh, you know, if you sort of go home and you're listening to this and you're, mom, when I grow up, I want to get into sales. Like, oh, what? Right. Right? right? Like, you know, those car salesmen or women like, oh, you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Wolf of Wall Street. Right. No, don't you dare. Right. And, and, you know, that's what the whole purpose of the movie was about that, you know, I, personally, right, I think in no other career are you 24-7 unless you're you know, a surgeon, something like that, outside of sales, like if your customers call you on a Saturday at 10 o'clock, you pick up the phone. Like there is no downtime because sales is a 24 seven profession. So you have to really love it, but you know, you have to be committed to honing your craft, just like, you know, your friend uh, in learning how to get a better golf swing. You know, if the goal is to become a scratch golfer or is the goal to make club for your sales, for your sales and for your company, you know, put those goals out there, invest in yourself, you know, and, and it's really achievable. And I have loved the profession of selling. I I'm glad that that's where I ended up and I wouldn't change it for anything. It's been an amazing 30 years for me, you know, really talking about this and doing it. So, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the profession. Well, I have four children. I have two daughters and I have to tell you, it's so wonderful because right around the same time, uh, you were talking about earlier, but like for me in, in the late eighties, uh, I was at school and I was, I was interning at an investment firm and it was literally, there was one woman out of a hundred women in Boston that, I mean, that's not that long ago. Right. 
And so for, for my, my elder daughter to be able to see that movie with me and not just see you, but also see so many of the other women who were part of it and, and realize that exactly this, what this is. And then Tiffany to see the young women at, from the University of Texas, Dallas, who are graduating with a degree and, a, and sort of a certificate in sales. I mean, holy cow, what a transformation in, in less than 30 years. Yeah, we have a long way to go. Look, there's not an MBA in sales. There's one in in marketing. You know, Howard's doing uh, you know amazing work down in Texas, and and there's a handful of other ones. Frank's doing great work, obviously at Harvard. And so, you know, I would say that um, for me, sales is like you really have to love it. Like you yeah. really, really have to love it. You know, there's there's sort of you know a performers. I'm going to use your golf analogy for for a moment, but there's kind of a performers, and that's kind of like the Tiger Woods. Yep. or Michelle Wee of golf, born to have a golf club in their hand. Right. Then there are kind of B sellers who take golf lessons and become a scratch golfer, might take your money on Sunday, but they're not going to make tour. Exactly. But still really good. And then you've got a C seller who's someone who, no matter how hard they try, it's just really maybe not a fit for them. Yep. In a organization, it's probably like 14 to 17% of your sellers are kind of at that A category. Now, this is not about quota attainment. This is just about kind of the natural ability and the love for kind of what you do. It's the stuff you can't measure, right? Yeah. Um, and then about 65% are in the Bs. And where sellers, sales leaders make the biggest mistake is they focus all their efforts on the As and they try to make the Bs As. I'm never going to be Michelle Wee or Tiger Woods, but I'd love to play golf better and I'd love to take your money on Sunday. Right. Right. And so that's commitment to the craft. Yeah. And you don't want all A's because sometimes they're difficult to manage. I'd say I'm an A. I didn't always fill out my pipeline reports. I didn't always do everything I was going to do. I totally. did hit quota. You know, I was obviously I was a team player and all of that, but I was kind of a little out of the mechanics. I would kind of do what I thought would work for me. And, 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 and it did where the B's are like, you know, they are just looking for you to always sort of adjust and teach and coach and, and really uh, improve. And if you could move the middle two to 5% in quota attainment and 65% of your sellers are Bs, that's a huge impact. Now, I do not want you hear me saying leaders, go categorize your people and then tell them you're an A, you're a B, you're, that's right, not what I'm saying, right. it's not what I'm saying, right? Yeah. It, it's really just a way for you in your mind to go, I shouldn't test new selling methodologies with my As. Right. Test it with your Bs learn what works. You want that engine to get better and better and better. You want to coach and support the A's when and where and how they need it. You want to, you know, obviously spend time with them. It's not like they're just hands off and they do what they want, but it's a less of a sort of, you know, tighten of the screw. Um, and so if you are listening to this and you go, I love it. I'm super successful, right? I want to be better. That's where you have to keep practicing and practicing and practicing. Um, and so, you know, if you are early in your sales career, your best, my best piece of advice is keep selling. <laughs> and when you don't win a deal, try to understand why not. And when you do win a deal, try to understand why and find your superpowers and sort of double down there. If you're just kind of doing it because it's like, oh, there's nothing else. I don't know really what I want to do. I have a gift of gab. I'm pretty good at it. And you're making a living, you know, that's, that's a very different thing. You know, really, um, I think sales is just, uh, super um, inspiring and fun. And if you're competitive, this is definitely the career for you. Well, there's so much with Salesforce uh, that I'd love to chat with you about, but I'm going to just focus on two or three questions in our remaining time here. Tiffany, one of the questions uh, that I'm just personally very curious about is how do you go from 
um, a Gartner analyst and make the pivot to what you're doing at, at Salesforce? How does that happen? I think the harder pivot for me was selling and then becoming an analyst. Like okay. I am not an academic. I play one at work. Like I am a true blue salesperson. I always say I bleed sales blood like that. You know, that's what gets me excited. And I vicariously get to sell through all the sellers I speak to on a daily yeah. basis, you know, both internally and externally on podcasts like this. So it was really hard for me to make that shift. And I'll tell you, my very first day at Gartner, um, we had an all hands offsite in Orlando at the at the Swan, the Dolphin and the Swan, where our symposium is. And we had one room, it was all the analysts, and there was maybe like 11 or 1200 people. And then like two doors down was the selling organization. It was like three or 4,000 people. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sitting in the back row because, you know, I didn't know anybody. It literally was my first week. And the head of research gets on stage and is talking about all this stuff, you know, and I'm, you know, intently listening and taking notes. And he says this joke and puts up this quote from this philosopher. And everybody laughed. Well, you know, pretty much the whole room laughed. I didn't get the joke. So I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm in the wrong place, right? So I just took a deep breath. And I'm like, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. Like, you know, just, right? And then maybe like, 30 seconds later, I hear the Rocky theme coming through the panels <laughs> and the sales organization is clapping and stomping and shouting. And I'm like, I think I'm supposed to be over there. That's so good. What am I doing in here? Right? And so that was a really hard pivot for me, but it took me, literally, it took me about three years to kind of find my legs on what it meant to advise and consult and listen and understand and sort of aggregate lots of data and be able to quickly tell a story about why that's important to, you know, someone uh, like the late Mark Hurd, who at the time when he was a client was, was at HP, um, and then he went on to Oracle or John Chambers at Cisco or Steve Ballmer or Satya Nadella at Microsoft or, you know, Ginny Rometty at IBM or Michael Dell at Dell. I mean, it was those level of conversations. That's that's intimidating and it's daunting for a seller who's so used to just going like, I'm trying to sell you stuff. And it's like, nope, right. like, that's not the conversation you have at that level, right? So um, it took me time. And then I kind of found my stride uh, year three and five. I started coming up with new and unique content. By seven, I'd really hit my stride um, and I became a research fellow, which there were only about a dozen of us of the of the 1200 um, uh, analysts covering a topic, sales transformation, which for all intent and purposes, CIOs don't care about necessarily. And that right. was our audience. So, you know, I really uh, was blessed to have found a place that uh, really supported sort of the topic that I was covering and realizing the value that it had to our broader customer community. That's the part that is so unique. And so maybe that's part of the superpower that evolved or that you recognize that, hey, I, I can do this. I can do this. It doesn't really matter who I'm talking to. I just have to realize how to adapt. Well, I'll tell you something about superpowers is um, you can't kind of figure out what your own superpower is. <laughs> like, true. Right. That's true. So, so, you know, uh, and or call yourself a thought leader and or, you know, say you're really shaping markets or advising, you know, and really uh, helping companies make big decisions. You know, I in the background when a company I was working with had an incredible quarter because of something that they did that I helped. Um, them sort of strategize and execute, I would feel a sense of pride, even though no one would ever know that, that I had right. anything to do with it. But when customers and clients started telling me 
look, you're really good at doing this. Yes. You know, then I started to understand what my superpowers were. And then I also understood what my non-strengths were, which not weaknesses, non-strengths, what my non-strengths were. And so I sort of put the non-strengths to the side and I doubled down on those superpowers. So if you're listening, like you might be really good at writing emails, or you might be really good at giving demonstrations, or you might be really good at answering RFPs, or you might, whatever it is, you know, let your customers sort of guide you on what those superpowers are. And that's where you want to spend your time. Uh, and then you have to, you know, wait for sort of your customers, your company, your leadership, your managers to really recognize, you know, where you add value internally. Um, and if they're not recognizing it, right, that's where champions uh, come into play, not mentors, but champions, someone who would put you up for something if you weren't in the room, right? Somebody who understood yes. the value you bring. And so while I don't manage people here, I have champions that will say, if you're looking for someone to talk to an executive about this, Tiffany Bova is who you should go to. If you want that, you know, someone else is who you go to, but that are the, those are the champions that will help give you greater exposure, both internally and externally. And then you know, you're kind of on your way. And then it, now you can't fake time. <laughs> time okay. is just something you have to put in. Uh, and, you know, if you're committed, as I've said a number of times, you know, you will find your way forward. I love that point, Tiffany, about you can't find your own superpower. And I think that the, uh, I'm, a, I'm a participant in something called the Strategic Coach Program, which is an entrepreneurial coaching program. And literally the exercise they have us do is exactly what you just said which is you send this letter and it's to 20 people who know you, right? And, and it's asking for their help to say, what, you know, in, what have you noticed as it relates to this exercise? I'm trying to figure out, they call it the unique ability. Um, it, it doesn't mean I'm the best person on the planet. It just means I have this special combination of passion, interest, skill set, curiosity, all these different things on this topic. And sometimes when, when the messages come back, first of all, you know, if people are willing to take the time to do it, it tells you a lot. And second of all, when it comes back, it's amazing how powerful it is when people you respect tell you what they think you're good at. Well, the holy grail nirvana for me is I loved what I was doing and then people recognized it and, and identified that it was my superpower. And then, you know, so it's not that you don't know what it is, you know, what you find joy in and what you like, sure. like doing you know, if you really can hone that, it can get become your superpower, right? And so I think it's two sides, right? One, you might not understand what it is. Like I didn't ever think in a million years I'd work for, you know, an analyst company that was very data-driven. I'm not a data person. Sure. Um, and, but I, what I learned was I could read 10 or 15 Gartner research notes and I could pick the key points that I knew could create a story that if I gave it in front of a group of sellers that were yes. now moving from on-premise to cloud technology, yep. what would be important to them? Totally. And, and that's where I didn't know. I knew I was pretty good at storytelling, but I didn't know about this sort of data angle and being able to tell data stories in that way. So, you know, I can say you may think you know what it is. You might have a love for something that you do or really enjoy it. And so how do you create a role where you get to do what you really love every day. I mean, this is, you know, the best place I could be. I'm so, I'm so happy for you on that. I really am. It's, it's great to hear. Last question. Um, yes. Based on your experience, Tiffany, what's the most important skill you think sellers need to either learn or improve right now? Oh, I would have answered this very differently when I was a seller and when I was a manager versus today. So 
you know, in my twenties, it was sort of, I don't know what I wanted to do. In my thirties, I changed jobs every 18 months. I was in sales and I was like looking for more, you know, responsibility and wanted more challenge. Um, and back then I was a higher risk, but for me, it was a way I could start to move up the ladder and learn more things. Um, and, and I would say that I probably didn't listen as much as I do now. And so I probably missed opportunities for additional selling. Um, I might've missed opportunities to establish a better relationship with a client. I might've missed opportunities to actually back off of something I was trying to sell, you know, cause it wasn't the right time. So, and, and I'd say as salespeople, we get really excited about what we do. Look, we love what we do. We're trying to close a job, you know, a deal. We've got a manager is telling us, move this deal, move this deal, close this deal, close it this quarter, like do whatever you can do. And it, it puts us at odds at listening to what our customers really need. And I would tell you that if you do, if you get better at becoming a master asker, asking better questions, you have to get better at listening. And then th those answers, those insights absolutely will give you the roadmap to close that deal or enhance your career or move to another company or expand your sphere of responsibility. But you have to be better at asking questions and then better at listening. I love it. Tiffany, if people want to learn more about you, about Growth IQ, about the work that you're doing, what's the best place to do it? So follow me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active. I'm also active on Twitter. It's at Tiffany underscore Bova. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. I have a podcast called What's Next with Tiffany Bova across all the streaming uh, platforms. And then obviously I've got the book. It's translated in nine languages. Uh, it's on Audible. It's on Kindle. Um, so you can check that out. Tiffany, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, we're going to be using this in a number of different places uh, because um, there's so many different messages that you've shared here. So I just want you to know you're an inspiration. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, I hope our paths cross again. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Thank you. You've been listening to The Adapter's Advantage, a podcast from Alego. Stay connected by subscribing to the show at alego.com forward slash podcast, leaving us a rating and comment and sharing episodes you love. That helps us bring you more conversations about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember that one new idea can change your life.